welcome to Families for Life, a podcast of Oakville Baptist Church. On today's episode, we're continuing our marriage series, part five, Intimacy. Welcome back. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Pastor Allen. Welcome, 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 Pastor Brian. Thank you for welcoming me. I'm excited to be here, and I've really enjoyed this series of podcasts, and I hope they're being helpful for people. Yes, definitely. Let us know. Give us your feedback. If you are enjoying this series, if you've learned some things, uh, we've gotten some feedback from some people already, so this is uh, good stuff, and it's encouraged me even in my relationship, so it's always it's always good when that happens. Yeah. Reminders are always needed, especially even after years of marriage. So they're always good. Make sure to subscribe, give us a review, share with your friends, email us your feedback. The email address is in the show notes. So let us know. Hey, so uh, was there anything surprising that you learned about your spouse when you were dating? Was there anything that you, I'll, I'll give you a second to think about it. I'll, I'll answer this question first. Yeah, that'd be good. Go ahead. Okay. Give me a second. One of the things that people may or may not know, and I learned this when I was dating my wife, is she's a huge sports nut. And sometimes, in some some regards, even more than me, there are certain sports that I love more, and there are certain sports that she loves more. But her, she grew up in a household where her parents, especially her mom and dad, both watched Kentucky basketball, Kentucky football. She went to a lot of games. And so you'll find her when Kentucky's playing, even like last night, she was at church for the – administrating the Iwana and she had her phone down there on the thing and she had the game going. <laughs> right. Well, so, yeah. multitasking. That's right? exactly right. right. So she was a huge sports fan. I learned that when we were dating. Yeah. Paula, I don't know what I learned about her as you were dating. Um, uh, she very independent, I guess. Uh, she was very um, strong willed and independent. I, I would say that. Um, and she just, um, I think that really attracted me to her uh, because some of you may not know this. She dumped me twice, and the third time it finally stuck. But uh, she made you work for she it. She was quite a challenge. Let's just say it that way. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad I stuck with it, though, and it all worked out. So it's all worth it. Yeah. There you go. Well, today we're talking about intimacy. Why do you think it's important to talk about this when it comes to a Christian marriage? Well, because I think there's been a lot of wrong thought on this topic, uh, and I think there's been wrong teaching on it as well uh, throughout the years. Um, the, um, you know, for so many years back in the day, I think intimacy was, it was more that the marriage was more about the commitment you made and just sticking together, mm -hmm. which is true, but it kind of did not heighten the importance of intimacy. I think we've almost swung the other way now though, right. to where we're, we're more readily walking away from our commitment mm -hmm. than we should. So. Yeah, it's almost like uh, growing up in the Baptist circles, they, it was you didn't talk about these things. You didn't; these right. things were not um, just, taboo. Yeah, it was kind of taboo. Now it's now you're right. It's kind of the other the other side where it's people are. There's been pastors and preachers that have talked about it in very crass, unbiblical ways. Right. Even yeah, even crude ways. Right. Which is definitely not helpful. And right. Uh, is damaging, more damaging than helpful. Yeah. Well, we're not going to be crude or crass. Uh, parents, you may want to give this a listen because we are talking about intimacy. We are going to uh, touch on the subject of sex and, and in the confines of a marital relationship. So if your kids are listening, you may want to, uh, you know, preview this as well before you listen with them. But we're not going to be any, we're not going to be crude or crass. However, I do want to ask the question, sex seems like it's everywhere. I mean, you can't turn on the TV and have a commercial 
or, you know, a, a show that, you know, has, has some sexual component to it. Yeah, it's amazing to me that they can find a way to use sex to sell a car uh, or a deodorant or whatever it is that they may be selling. That right. It seems like sex is a common denominator with the, in advertising uh, and just in regular programming. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody the other day about they were trying to watch us, uh, you know, a binge, binge watch a series. And they said they probably started four or five series they thought were going to be good. And mm-hmm. about the second or third episode, they inject some type of a sexual something mm-hmm. that just ruins the whole thing, especially from a Christian understanding mm-hmm. and worldview. Yeah. And so it's like it's almost hard to find uh, a series to binge watch. Uh, uh, now, there are those that, that people do watch and even Christians watch, and I hear the, some of the ones that they're watching, and you then mm. you just hear on the periphery some of the things that are in here. Like, what are you doing? You know? Right. Because sometimes even Christians have said, well, it's so much ingrained in the culture, there's just no way around it, so I'll just watch it, and mm-hmm. I just won't let it affect me, which is a very dangerous thing to do in my opinion. Right. So. Yeah, you're playing with fire in yeah. that. But culture does seem like it's obsessed with sex. It seems like it's everywhere. So let's ask the question, is sex good or bad? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it was designed to be good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, just like anything, it can be corrupted. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it depends on the parameters in which it's being participated in. And in the way in which God has designed it, it is Mm -hmm. good. And it is for our good. And it's uh, ultimately even for our good, our satisfaction, and for God's glory even when it's in the right parameters. Yeah, I found this quote in the Preparing for Marriage book where it says, the unfortunate fact is that most of us have received a poor sex education. Our knowledge, our viewpoints, our experience are twisted by our culture. We learn about sex from a man's perspective. In order to build a good sexual relationship when you are married, we need to learn what the creator had in mind. They're not saying man like as a man or woman. They're saying man as mankind. You learn from a from a human perspective when Really, you need to look at it from God's perspective because God's the creator of sex. It's His idea. Yeah, right. This should as you raise children, this should be part of your uh, this should be part of your uh, discipleship process with your kids. You should make sure that you help them understand. Yes, the functions of sex, I guess, in the biological sense, but much more important is also God's design of it and how. That this is a good thing in the design that God has designed. Mm-hmm. Now, we've just got to understand, culture is not going to teach our kids that. Right. And to be quite honest with you, I'd be okay if culture didn't teach my kids anything about sex because right. they're not going to get it right anyway. But they are going to, if they're in this world, they are going to hear about things in certain ways. But it's good for us as parents to not be as scared of this, of this mm-hmm. conversation and to see it as part of what we're to do as parents is to help our kids understand mm-hmm. this is not a tab- taboo subject. This is not an off-limits topic, mm-hmm. but this is something that we can openly and appropriately share with them at the right time yeah. and in the right way. I was going to say we had a discussion about this on one of our previous episodes where we had our Hard Talk series. People can go back and listen to that. And we talked about what is appropriate to talk about at each age, each stage of of. of children and to be honest it's it's getting younger and younger when you have to address some of these things because the culture like you're saying is pressing in even earlier on some of these topics especially you know in the area of sexual perversion i mean they're pushing in on children very early right well and that's why we've got to um, be willing to talk about it yeah because 
you just think of it this way. Who, who do you want to educate your children about sex? Mm. Uh, well, hopefully you say you want you as parents mm-hmm. to be the main educators on that. Well, right. you, you got, you've got to take the lead on it right. and understand the first time that your kids hear about sex is not going to be when they're 16. Mm-hmm. They're going to hear about it way earlier than that. And you're going to have to make sure you're willing to explain God's idea of sexuality. And you're also going to have to talk to them about how our fallen world perverts that. And some of the things that they're hearing in the world is a perversion of what God had designed. Mm-hmm. And better for you, better for our church in appropriate ways to teach on that mm-hmm. than than not. I mean, back I think in 2015 or something like that, I did a I did a, a discipleship series called a Biblical Sexual Ethic, mm. and that was back in 2015. And we were dealing with some of these topics even then. Right. But like, there are some even some more topics that have come out that. We even then didn't mm-hmm. deal with as much because they weren't as prevalent. Right. So it's a it's a changing uh, landscape, mm-hmm. and it's uh, something that we as um, parents, grandparents, even uh, need to be abreast of. Yeah. Well, this is why we need to develop a, a robust theology when it comes to intimacy and it comes to marriage. And so we've we've talked about this scripture before, Genesis 2, 40, uh, 24, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here's the interesting fact. When God designed marriage, he designed sex. This was before the fall, okay? So it was a good endeavor. It was a holy and righteous endeavor. Now, post-fall, things have been perverted and twisted, and it's been made to something that is not godly. But I believe in the bonds of marriage, we can redeem sexual intercourse, sexual intimacy in the way that God originally intended it when he created it before the fall. Right. As long as we allow God to inform us in our sexuality and not let the world inform our sexuality. And we've got to be okay with that. And even if that means that we look like we're out of step with culture, that's okay. Because to be in step with culture would, in my opinion, to be unbiblical when it comes to the topic of sexuality. Yeah. So let's jump in and, and see there are three purposes for sex in a marriage. Okay. So number one is procreation. This is a natural effect of what happens when two people get together. Right. They yeah. have they have children. And they have children. In fact, Psalm one twenty seven verses three through five says, "And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth." Uh, I'm sorry, that was Genesis 128. Mm -hmm. Psalm 127 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior or children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Mm -hmm. And those verses really speak to um, this idea of procreation Mm -hmm. being one of the purposes of sexuality. And that, that is a good thing. And, uh, you know, along with that, what, what's it say there in Psalm 127? Uh, that uh, uh, blessed is the man who mm-hmm. fills his quiver with them. So, I mean, having children and having multiple children in a family is a good thing. We live in a culture now that if you have more than, you know, <laughs> if you have more than two kids, people sometimes even think, man, mm-hmm. are you, you know, what are you doing? Right. You have three, okay. When you get into four, five, six, seven, then you're like, yeah, they think you're insane. Little house on the prairie. Yeah, right. They're like, 
you know, have you not figured this out yet? Right. I mean, why, you know, even in the Christian culture, why must we constantly remind Christians that having children is a good thing? Well, because I think parenting is really hard. And when you live in a culture that encourages us to put ourselves first constantly, then we, as believers every day, are trying to die to ourselves daily. But when it's constantly reinforced to us that we need to, like, claim our rights or be fulfilled in ourself mm-hmm. and you deserve this and that, then it's easy to get that skewed sometimes. And parenting is a hard endeavor, but it's probably the most rewarding endeavor you'll ever be a part of too. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a, there's a kind of a dichotomy there that we have to fight against in culture. Yeah. So we're going to talk more about this in a future episode, what it means to parent in the, you know, from a, from a marriage perspective and look into that, but you know it is important, and I and I have seen couples, even Christian couples, uh, actively choose childness, child childlessness. Thank you. Yeah, right. And I just don't see that lining up with what God has commanded us to do to to choose childlessness. Now we'll talk about if if you're having trouble conceiving in just a moment. But but do you have a perspective on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know a lot. I know a few couples, Christian couples who have done that. Uh, I don't pretend to know all of their motives or reasons, but uh, I think sometimes that happens because they themselves have had challenging childhoods. Mm. And sometimes I think that comes from a fear of repeating, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, negativity that they experience. I I can't speak into all that. I, I do know that I do know that I've seen couples before who were not wanting kids and then they ended up pregnant and then on the back side of something they initially didn't think they wanted, the the blessing and joy of that was more than they ever could have thought. Right. And so I, I think sometimes people are affected by uh, the responsibility of it, the seriousness of it. But then when they actually experience it, they do experience the blessing. Yeah. Of it. And this so. is a hard conversation because each circumstance and each situation is a little bit different. So right. we're making kind of generalities here. But on a whole, I would say... God wants us to have children. Yeah, God well, wants us yeah, to. Yeah, he's commanded us he's to commanded be fruitful and multiply. So, yeah. But then there are people that, that can't have children or have a very difficult time. And so I think we've got we've to understand that even in that perspective, God is sovereign. The Bible says God is in control of the womb. So if, yeah. you, if you want children and you can't have them, I, my heart goes out to you. That, that, is a, that is a difficult place to be in. Yeah, that is very hard. And I've seen that give people... Um, challenges to deal with, uh, for sure. But once again, I think even in the hardship and the brokenness of that reality, I have seen people come to where they could see themselves as adopting children, Mm -hmm. uh, and into their families. And I've seen God minister to people through adoption, uh, to really help them to experience having the child mm-hmm. in their own, in their own lives yeah. like they hadn't before. Paul, my wife, Paula, she's adopted. Uh, you know, I love adoption. It's a, it's a great kind of a illustration mm-hmm. of even spiritual principles that we know about how we're adopted into God's family and all right. those things. But I would strongly encourage people if they, if they cannot have their own children in a biological sense that they pray and see if God would maybe have them, reach out and adopt children into their home because there's so many children who desperately need good Christian homes yeah. in. So God can even work in that. Right. Yeah. So I would encourage you to, to really pray about this. You can seek support 
in the church. There's um, godly people that can help you kind of walk through if you're having trouble conceiving. And like you said, look to other options. How can you fulfill God's call in your life through maybe some other means? Maybe maybe it's not through natural uh, born children. Yeah, right. There's there's all kind of options. There's different ways to approach it. Uh, and there are people who walk the same path. And, and oftentimes they're right there in your church mm-hmm. uh, who've went through a season of not being able to get pregnant, and then they were able to get pregnant. Right. And so you can find encouragement and strength through brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first purpose. The second purpose, number two, is pleasure. The second uh, second reason for intimacy is pleasure. The the scripture here, yeah, Proverbs five chapter Proverbs chapter five verse eighteen and nineteen says, "Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love." And so, this uh. To me, this reading of, of uh, Proverbs here is this, this understanding of uh, physical relationship between a man and a woman uh, to have come together, who have been made one flesh in the eyes of God, and that they can and they should enjoy the pleasure of that relationship. So, uh, you know, that that's... Uh, May surprise some people, right? That I think, God created sex for pleasure as well. Yeah, is this? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is this surprising? And I and I have, I I do, uh, I do think this is might be surprising for people. You know, you you have kind of two different kind of things. You have people that grow up in a really kind of sexually repressed kind of kind of thing, and then they they are um, really like timid and 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 shy and they don't find that that fulfillment like like it talks about in the scripture they need to pray about that there's other couples who who just go too far they look into they're not fulfilled in each other because they're really ultimately not fulfilled in Christ and so they look to more perverse sexual arenas or they get frustrated and they stop having sex altogether. Right. Well, sometimes this happens because before people even get married, they've been exposed to yeah. harder understandings uh, of mm-hmm. sexuality. And maybe they've even, uh, whether it's a guy or, or a girl who have spent time looking at porno- pornographic mm, images yeah. or, or movies. And if you're not careful as you can, if you consume that, it does have an effect on you, mm-hmm. and it it makes you have a false sense of reality yeah. and expectation when it comes to sexual intimacy and pleasure. And so that sometimes, if that is there, that's something that a couple has to work through, because what you see uh, in those videos or online or wherever you would see those things, that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. That none of that is reality. Mm-hmm. And there is a way to have a sexual intimacy and a pleasure that doesn't include that, but is still in the bonds of what would be acceptable in the eyes of God, where it is an absolute fulfilling mm-hmm. uh, relationship uh, physically. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you've got to purge yourself from bad influences right. that the world has pressed in mm-hmm. on you, that you you may need to repent of some of that and just eliminate it so you can truly find the pleasure in the relationship. Well, I think that's what God wants. He wants us to find our contentment in our spouse in this area. In, in the way that God has has set this up, it's important to remember that that your contentment in sex comes from delighting in God first. That's if right. You are, if you are far from God, if your relationship with Him is 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 bad, you're not going to find fulfillment in your wife because number one, she's not there to satisfy your soul. Right. 
And sex is not going to satisfy your soul. Only if you find your satisfaction in the Lord, then you will be able to love your wife in the way that you're supposed to and be fulfilled in intimacy. Right. I agree with that. And so if, if so I'll just look at it from the man's perspective. Mm-hmm. If your greatest desire is to uh, have, find your enjoyment in God and loving him and serving him and growing in your faith, if that's your greatest enjoyment, that will do a lot to protect you from the... Uh, the um, influences of the world right. in this area of sexuality. Because if you desire God above all else, it's going to help you very much to eliminate things from your life that shouldn't be there. But if you're far from God, oftentimes you find yourself more open to consume these things that ultimately will dull even your ability for arousal mm. in the marriage relationship or with the woman that God has given you. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be very careful with that. And it's not just men, it's women too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't, I could, I've looked at percentages of that, but I mean, a high percentage of men are, are affected by pornography, but the, there's a growing it's percentage growing. of numbers of women being affected by pornography. And if you find your arousal coming from consuming pornographic images as a man or a woman, you will find arousal harder in the marriage relationship because it it's not it's like you've gone beyond where yes. you should have gone. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to you've got to calibrate, recalibrate, you've got to repent, you've got to eliminate those kind of things so you can then invest and truly find the pleasure in this relationship. Yeah, I believe that the sexual appetite cannot be satisfied apart from the Lord. It will grow more and more sinful and more perverse the further you get from the Lord. And it's just like you can't go far enough. Right. Uh, and and that's a that's a major problem uh, with this area because it it's like an insatiable appetite once you begin with it. Yeah. It's like if you sit down at a big meal and you can't stop eating. Right. You know, you just eat more and more. So we have to submit our desires to the Lord. All of our desires have to be submitted to the Lord. Listen, the desire to want to have sex is not bad. No. But you need to fulfill that desire in in a holy, righteous way that God has set up in marriage between a man and a woman. Right. Yeah. You're you you it's good to desire to find sexual pleasure with the one that God's given you. And it's good to do that uh regular regularly and uh in a in a fulfilling manner. Mm-hmm. So so the third uh purpose is for protection. So we have pleasure we have procreation, pleasure, and protection. This is three Ps. This is a sermon right here. Yeah, right. yeah it is. So uh, maybe the next time you preach, you can preach this message. Oh, I don't uh, know about that. What about that? <laughs> uh, so, so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, it says this, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And that is a very, very good word that we need to hear, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't run from it. Why is this such an important truth? Well, it's an important truth because when you're married, this is an important part of the relationship. And when you're married, you do not have another option to sat- find satisfaction and fulfillment in the sexual area of your life. Mm-hmm. I have one woman that is an option for me, mm-hmm. and my wife has one man that's an option for her. So I really think this gets to this idea of how sometimes couples will use 
even sex as a bargaining chip mm-hmm. in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is wrong. I mean, there's no way around that to say that sex is not to be used as a bargaining chip. It's not a punishment. A punishment. Like it's not a it's not to control power over the other person. This is to be where we are there willingly uh, giving ourselves one to another. And of course we've got to use common sense in this and we've got to have a healthy relationship where we're clearly communicating. Mm-hmm. There are some times that are better than other times. And I'm not just saying we're um, machines and any time and every time, but that we in relationship and a loving relationship can figure out how it is good to regularly give ourselves one to another and not use it as a, as a statement of power mm-hmm. or of um, reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how does so. this differ from what, what the passage says here from what culture might say about sex? Oh, well, it's a lot different because biblical understanding of a sexual relationship is between one man and one woman. The culture in which we live in sees that as repressive and would say that they would see that as nonsensical. I've heard that time and again. I've heard people on podcasts and on the internet in different places say, well, who could expect a man only to have sex with one woman mm-hmm. for his life? Right. That is like a mind blowing thing for the world to hear. But that is how God's designed it. Mm-hmm. And I do know plenty of godly men and godly women who have went a lifetime together as this is the one for mm-hmm. me for the rest of my life. Right. And had a vibrant and sexual, have a vibrant right. sexual life. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of studies show that uh, longtime married couples have some of the healthiest sex lives because of some of these types of mm-hmm. dynamics. And uh, so it's it's really the heart that you have mm-hmm. with your partner and your uh, your willingness to put the work in mm-hmm. too into the relationship yeah. so it can stay vibrant and healthy. One of the most interesting things to me is in a lot of our more advanced cultures, you think about like America or some of the, the Asian cultures, Japan and places like that, uh, affairs are very commonplace. Now, they do hurt people, obviously, but like it's almost like, like it's not that big a deal for people to have an affair. And that's where culture would definitely disagree with this. If you're not fulfilled in your marriage, go have an affair. Yeah, right. Just find it somewhere else. And sometimes in some cultures, what they do is they say, well, we have our marriage and our marriage is for our children yeah. and for those things. But for my sexual pleasure and enjoyment, I can have other people that I'm in relationship with. Right. And there's just understandings in these cultures. But we've got to understand that any of those understandings are outside of the bounds of what Scripture would call a marriage uh, that would honor God. Yeah. And we those are those are just off limits uh, and yeah. should not be participated well, in. And I think we need to really protect ourselves, protect our marriages from uh, an affair. And one of the ways, I really love this resource. You opened me up to this resource. A book called Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It by Jerry B. Jenkins. I think this is a great book that every man and really every woman, but men specifically, should read this marriage or read this book. Yeah, it's a, it's an older book now. It's been out for a number of years, but I remember when I got it, uh, it was very helpful for me uh, because I was a younger man then. Uh, I, w- I was being discipled by uh, some men that were just a few years older than me. And we were going through books like this because it was so helpful to help us understand um, ways of protecting our marriages because marriages are under attack. And Satan is just sitting there waiting for you to drop your guard, 
for you to say, well, this or that's not that important. Mm -hmm. And he's going to do whatever he can to destroy your marriage. And we yeah. just got to know that. So there's some practical things yeah. that you can do. This is so. some great advice. I think the first thing here is the marriage vow itself is our first boundary or our first hedge that we got to remember our commitment to our wife. That has to be, I mean, we have made this commitment to our wife, to our husband. This is our. This is not a commitment you made one day and it fades over time. This is a lifelong commitment. Right, yeah. The, when you stand up on your wedding day, you are not just saying words with people hearing you say words. You are saying you are taking vows before a holy God, and those people there are witnesses to the fact that you took those vows. And you, we need to remember that day and the importance of that and let that commitment ring in our ears and not just see it as just something we did to get people together so we could have a party afterwards. But for us to understand this really mattered. And I took a vow before God mm -hmm. to be committed to that woman or to that man. What's the second thing here? Second thing is uh, don't spend time alone with another person mm. of the opposite sex. Now, listen, I want to speak directly into this because I I'll be quite honest with you. I'm a little tired of the pushback against this. And I know that people will disagree with me on that, but I'm going to tell you, I have had years mm -hmm. of counseling that would say different. Yeah. That if you think, some people think, well, it's no big deal. I can go hang out with a, a woman who's not my wife and we can go out and we can go eat together. We can go out and just hang out. Uh, listen, it, I, I, that is just not using wisdom at all. Or a woman saying, well, I can go hang out with this, this person or we work together. We're just really close and we just get together afterwards and uh, go out to eat every once in a while this together. It's my work wife. It's and my all work that wife, oh work my husband. Goodness. I'm just telling you, I despise that. Well, and, and listen, I'm just telling you, listen, I, just from practical experience, there is a way and, and people would always jump to the extreme. Well, well, that's, that's misogynistic. You can't, you have to work with women. You have to be with them. Listen, in ministry, I, I work with a lot of ladies in our church, I, in children's ministry, in our outreach missions, food pantry. And I always do it in an appropriate way. And I don't think any of them feel like I've uh, slighted them or not, not given them as a pastor what, what they need in ministry. But I'm not going to put myself in a situation where, where there's even an appearance of somebody thinking that I could be having an affair or meeting with somebody. Right. This really isn't that hard to think about, really. I mean, just if we're just honest, I mean, as a pastor, I, I counsel women sometimes. But you know when I'm going to counsel women? I'm going to counsel them during the day. At the office with everybody at the office. Well, you've Walk even asked me to stay late yeah, if I yeah walk for accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to meet on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to ask a lady say, "Hey, why don't you meet me up at the church at eight o'clock tonight?" Right. When we're the only ones in the building, it's just not going to happen. And I'm not. It, it, that's not a hard fast. Even rule. if your motives are pure, that's right. It, it, it's it, just it, the appearance. Mm -hmm. It's it's everything else. So that's just something mm -hmm. that you've got to take serious. And I know I've had the pushback against this. Somebody listening to this podcast may want to push against it that that's okay listen it's hard but, to have an affair if you're never alone with another person of the opposite sex it's it's just it's just it's just a fact it's just a fact so so uh this the third one here is keep your hands to yourself this means that we don't need to have inappropriate touches with with people um hugging rubbing shoulders sitting on laps i mean i've seen people in a professional environment you know you have a christmas party and they they get a little tipsy and they're you know, it's just right. it's just inappropriate, right? And that and that's just something that we've got to acknowledge. I mean, and and I know this happens. I mean, it happens in friend friend groups. It happens in a lot of different ways. That that something that starts out very innocent mm -hmm. soon is the door that's been cracked open that leads to something that people participate in. And on the backside of it, they go, 
I don't know how I got here. Mm -hmm. And it all started out with just these more innocent, uh, uh, flirtatious, flirtatious, or just, Hey, I'm leaving. Let me give them the side hug. I'm just going to rub their back as I go out the door or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just not wise. It's just not wise, especially because there's always another pushback in our world today about social drinking. And you know, that's a whole nother podcast. Mm -hmm. I get that. But if say you're in a setting and you have consumed something that has lowered your inhibitions a little bit, Mm -hmm. if you're used to not keeping your hands to yourself in quote, semi innocent ways, it can lead to very bad Mm -hmm. things. And it's just something to be aware of. Mm -hmm. So what's the next one here? Uh, The next one is to watch what you say and how you say it. And this is just understanding that our words have power and that the way that we interact with one another is very important. Mm -hmm. That's important for me to remember, even as I counsel, Mm -hmm. because uh, when you're in counseling settings, you're trying to help people. You need to make sure as a counselor that your words are given to help encourage them in the truths of God's word. It's Mm -hmm. not time for you to get them to, or to empathize with that person and for them to then look at you Mm -hmm. as someone who is going to help make the difference in their life. Mm -hmm. So our words are very powerful and it really matters that we have appropriate speech with each other. Mm. Yes. You might be inadvertently leading someone on or on purpose doing it. And this needs to stop. You've got to be really uh, cautious of what you say and how you say it. Absolutely. So this is some other advice that, that I always like to throw in there. It's make it personal, but not inappropriate. And, And I believe that that fantasy is fuel to an affair. But if you really get to know people, like if you're working with a, with somebody, if you get to know that person, it is like a bucket of cold water. You get to know their person. You get to know their family. You see them as a real person, not just a fantasy in your mind. Now, that means your conversations are appropriate. They're not, you're not confiding in another woman about your marriage or about your, no. you know, or, or a man about your wife. But, but you got to get to know that. That's a real person. Right. And, 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 and if you got to think about that because if you're, you're not just destroying one marriage, you could potentially be destroying two marriages if you're entering into an affair with this person. So realize they've got a life as well. They've got children. They've got a spouse. Right. And and you got to take all that in consideration. Yeah. Right. And 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 it's it's good to know uh, and to care for uh, those acquaintances that you have. They got a spouse. They have a kids. And to know, like like you're saying, that they well, have a family I, that will be affected. When as well. I work with women in ministry, I seek to know their husbands as well because I want their husbands to know and love and trust me as much as I love and trust their them as well. Do you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I want there to be a really good relationship uh, going on there. Yeah, both ways to keep it uh, above board mm-hmm. in the way it needs to be. Right. Right. So the last one, spend time with your spouse. Uh, that's just that's just been, spend time together. Go on dates, uh, talk to each other. It's it's that it's that investing, ongoing investment. And listen, there have been times when I've done a lot better at this than others. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just be honest. But um, you know, after you get married, that's not time to quit investing. That's right. not time to say, hey, looking for ways to. Uh, do things with your spouse. And it doesn't have to cost tons of money. There's so many things you can do. Right. But just spend time with your spouse. Uh, and that's very important. Uh, and let me just say, as you have children, you need to keep spending time with your spouse. you mm-hmm. got to find ways to work that out. Yep. And uh, it, whatever it may be, you, you you don't need to say, hey, 
I'm spending time with my spouse. Uh-oh, we've had our first kid, our second, our third kid. Uh, when those three kids get older, then I'll spend time with my spouse again. It can't work like that. You've got to find an ongoing way to find those segments of time that you can spend that time with your spouse. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So those are some some hedges or some boundaries you can put in your life to protect yourself and protect your marriage. So the next section we want to talk about is is this may be a uh, well, it used to be a pretty obvious fact when I would say men and women are different. Yeah. But I don't know if culture would even say that is such an obvious uh, fact anymore. Well, but the, the people, now, now, <laughs> I don't, don't want to get you started on something. Yeah, don't, get, don't get me started. I mean, now we're confused on what a man is, what a woman is. I mean, we're, we're so confused about everything now. <laughs> but, but we know from a biblical perspective, men and women are different. We know that men and women are different. God's made us different. Uh, and it that's is, just how it is. It's not just physical, but also how we view and process intimacy. Men and women have different needs. And if you disregard these things, it can negatively affect the marriage. If you don't think about your spouse's needs that are different from your needs and your spouse doesn't think about your needs that are different from your their needs, it can negatively affect your marriage. Right, exactly. And listen, these are generalities of needs. And I do know and understand that there are sometimes a man will have more of one of these needs or a woman will have more of one of these. Sure. But these are general principles or generalities that are true of how God has wired us. Yeah. And so, so let's go through the five basic needs of a woman. This is from Dr. Aiken, Christian Theology Notes. Yeah. Uh, first is uh, her need for a spiritual leader. So, mm. uh, you know, now why is this important in intimacy? You know, we, we think about that. Uh, if we are going to be biblical, we are going to reference the roles and responsibilities of marriage. Ephesians 5, it's clear men are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. We're to take the initiative in the home. And, you know, a Christian woman will be attracted to a Christian man that is living out biblical principles of leading his family well. Yeah. That will be attractive to that woman. And that is something that guys sometimes shy away from because they feel maybe inadequate for whatever reason. But guys, we can take the most simple of steps to start to lead out spiritually in the home of, of spending time with our children when yeah. they're small, mm. reading that that Christian uh, storybook, taking a child's Bible and reading stories to them, and just taking these opportunities to give that leadership to our children and even with our wives, as we care about spiritual things, that will be attractive to our our Christian mm, wives. That's good, yeah. Number two, her need for personal affirmation and appreciation. Here's the thing. We've got to tell our wives that we love her. Tell her what we love about her. We need to compliment our wives in private and in public. It's like you've said, don't, you know, on the wedding day, I told you I loved you then. Yeah. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Yeah, right. We yeah. need to make sure we share with our words that we love and appreciate our wife. This is seems to be hard for people, though. It, listen, it is easy to just think that, like, we know that, you know, hey, I know my wife knows I love her. But it's good to to uh, confess that love and personally affirm her as well. Right. Uh, and that's just a that's just something that will minister to her soul and will give assurances to her too right. of our love for her. Part of this is a positive thing, and then also there's a negative thing that if we run our spouse down either in private or in public, I've seen this in public because I'm I'm there. 
And boy, that will that there's nothing that can hurt your marriage greater than if you run your spouse down in front of other people. Yeah, and that that is true for a woman, and that is true for a man as mm-hmm. well. And that is just our words matter, and so words of affirmation and appreciation, especially for our wives, is necessary and very appreciated. Mm-hmm. So, uh, number three is her need for personal affection or. And now, guys, we hear that, so, Romance. oh, no problem, you know, I, I got that one. But we're not just talking about uh, physical here. We're talking about this idea of being willing to yeah. uh, take the risk to romance her yes. in a sense. Well, I've heard it said that foreplay begins when you wake up. You know, you can't act like a jerk all day and then expect your wife to be excited for sex. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't be selfish and... and um you know, it, you need to serve your wife and love her in the way she appreciates. Go out of your way to 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 love her because she'll be much more open to fulfilling those needs if you if she is if she knows you care about her and you don't just say it but you show it as well. Yeah, and it helps, like you said, if it's just not in the moment of now. It's hey, it's time to be physical. It's not oh hey, here we are now. So let's turn a light switch on. It doesn't work like that. And uh, you know, like you said, it's got to start early on and consistently. And so that way, also, then that physical time together doesn't feel like uh, a duty mm-hmm. or it doesn't feel like a have-to thing, mm-hmm. but it's more of something that there's a willing participation in mm-hmm. because there has been the effort made to invest in your wife and romance her in the sense of right. being uh, in the moment with her, not just when you're getting ready to get to that mm-hmm. moment, but way before it ever gets Right. There. If the only time you ever touch your wife is when you're expecting sex, or the only time you ever compliment her or give her gifts or anything is when you're expecting sex, that's going to be, that's going to ne- be negative into your relationship. That's going to be very detrimental. Yeah. Your wife is going to, is going to catch on to that pretty quick. You've got to make sure and make the effort, not just when you're expecting intimacy. Yeah. That kind of plays into number four here a little bit too, her need for, uh, for intimate conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's just understanding that sex is not just a physical act. Uh, there, there's a relational component as well. And we were kind of getting at that. You, you've got to be open uh, open with your wife and to your wife. And that means you're going to talk to her, but you're going to listen as well. And listen, that's hard for me sometimes. I'll just be honest. I, I, or I'm listening but I'm not all there while I'm listening, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm you saying. You sort of disassociate, and then you're back right. in your mind thinking about what happened during the day, or right. you're thinking about what you got to do later right. on. Or I'm hearing her, and then I'm thinking about what am I going to say <laughs> Yeah. instead of really listening to right. her. Right, that's good. And too. so uh, that's something to um, yeah. really think about. I, I think you guys did a communication. No, some, we did a communication. Yeah, oh, yeah, about yeah, we, yeah, we mm-hmm. did our communication. Yeah, go piece. back and listen to that episode that we just did a, yeah. a few weeks ago because yeah. we talked about what does it mean to listen, what does it mean to hear your, your spouse. That's That's really important. So the last one here is her need for honesty and openness. So, you know, this this kind of wraps up sort of everything in those needs there. Your wife wants somebody who who really is is opening up and being, you know, she's your she's your helpmate. She's your she she's wants, the she's the one person that you're able to share your whole life with. Yeah, and she wants to know you. Yeah. She doesn't want to feel as if she's living with a stranger or, you know, the strong silent type that, you know, he, you know, you grunt or you say yes or no, and that's about all she gets from you. Right. She needs, she would love to have from you honesty and openness so she can truly feel as if she knows what's mm-hmm. going on in your world and that she can invest herself in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's really good. important, I think. 
Okay, well, let's let's shift gears here now. Let's talk about the five basic needs of a man. Yeah, and so this, once again, kind of comes from Dr. Aiken's notes of Christian theology. Uh, first is his need for admiration and respect. And I really do think that is a number one need mm. for men uh, because everything hinges upon it. Uh, and I just, I'll just direct you to one uh, verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. It says, however, let each one of you, uh, talking to husbands, love your wife as himself, mm-hmm. uh, and then let the wife see that she respects mm-hmm. her husband. And this is a really big thing because uh, more than anything, a man wants to know that he's valued and respected by his wife. Mm-hmm. And, and I do believe that uh, he wants a wife that's proud of him, that believes in him, mm-hmm. that... Um, is going to be affirming to him, and that is really a big thing. I've heard some people push back on that and say, well, oh, wow, is he so fragile? He's just got to know it's how we're wired. And, like, if I have heard men with this complaint before, I don't feel as if my wife respects me. Mm-hmm. This is the number one complaint in marriage right. counseling when right. you when you have couples that right. have issues. Because normally I don't I don't hear a man saying I don't feel as if my wife loves me. Right. It's I don't feel as if my wife respects me, mm-hmm. and that's just proving itself out. Normally I hear from a wife, I don't feel like he loves me. Right. And I think it goes to the kind of these these kind of general uh, uh, differences. Uh, and needs well, that, that men and women have. That's good that you mentioned that because we've used a resource in the past by Emerson Egrich, Love and Respect, love and which is right. based on that Ephesians verse where yeah. the greatest need for a, a woman is love and the greatest need for a man is respect. Yeah, and and I have seen that to be true. I've seen, I've heard some people push back on that, even that resource, uh, but uh, some, I'm, even recently I've seen some people uh, who are kind of more on the moderate to liberal specter, spectrum of, of theology see that as a misogynistic understanding, but I don't think Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 is misogynistic. I think it's biblical. And well, it I doesn't think, mean you're not respecting your wife or not loving your husband, because if you do those not. things, if you if you do what Scripture calls you to do, you will be loving your husband. You will be respecting your that, wife. That's exactly, but we're talking about the greatest need there. That's exactly right. So number two, his need for sexual fulfillment. I, I think, and I've... I've found this to be true in marriage counseling and in personal um, experience, men generally desire sex more than women. And I believe it's a need for a man and it's the way he can, he can have it righteously fulfilled, righteously met in the bonds of marriage. And so I, I think that women don't understand that as well as maybe they should, but there's a lot of the man's respect. There's a lot of uh, things that are kind of tied up in you know, sexual fulfillment. Yeah, I mean, rejection in that moment is a hard thing for men to process sometimes. And can and over the course of time, if it's a constant thing, it, it it's even opens the door for a bitterness to mm-hmm. set into the heart. Now, I do want to say something here. Because of the over-sexualized uh, world that we live in, oftentimes men have been over-sexualized yes. with wrong expectations in the marriage. We kind of referred to that a little just a few minutes ago. And so part of this sexual fulfillment and the desire for sex needs to be understood, uh, informed by Scripture. But this, if we go back to the other Scriptures we read about being willing to regularly give ourselves to one another, that is a good thing in the Christian marriage. Because, I mean, where else is a man to go? He's mm-hmm. to go to his wife anyway. Mm-hmm. And so there is a sexual need there. So, you know, ladies, it's it's it would be really wrong to look at your husband and say, well, you know, we had sex six months ago, so right. you ought to be okay. That's just not how a man's wired. Right. It's just not. And so, I don't think most women are wired that way either no. for six months. No. 
So number three is his need for a home refuge. Here's the thing. The world is hectic, okay? And men, and, and I'm sure women as well, but, but we're talking about the needs for men, appreciate being able to have a refuge from the craziness of the world. And here's the thing. The wife is generally the emotional hub of the home. Now, how you share responsibilities and, and you know chores and raising kids, we're not speaking about that, but we're talking about creating a, a, an atmosphere and an environment where a husband can have a, 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 a peaceful place to come to and rest when at the end of the day. Yeah, it's just a place where you can recharge as well. Now, I've said multiple times that when a husband gets home, yeah. you really, that's when your job begins. So I'm not talking about a husband should have a home for a refuge to where, you know, he just comes home and he's waited on hand and foot and he lays around on the couch and his wife does everything. That is not the kind of refuge I'm talking about. We're talking, talking about. more about an atmosphere and an attitude. That's right. An atmosphere and an attitude of peace, of rest. And, and, ad, and in that place, then he will lovingly serve his family mm-hmm. in that. But right. he's able to do it peacefully uh, while he's recharging in that moment because, you know, some of the greatest times I can reflect back on, even as a dad, is when I would come home from a long day of ministry or work and come home to my kids and my wife. And I, is if my home was um, that refuge, uh, I desired, I wanted to get there. Right. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be there because that was my place that I knew these people love me and I love them and I could hang out with my kids and we could do things with our children uh, even doing things around the house, helping one another, those were all good times for me. But mm-hmm. if you come home and your house is in an uproar, uh, you're, there's just, you know, there's something about the power of a woman to have this emotional ability to kind of set the tone for good in a house. And yeah. so when a wife does that, it's just a blessing. Yeah, ask yourself, when you're coming home from work, are you anticipating coming home or are you fearing coming home? That right. that answer will tell you a lot about the about your home if it's a refuge or not. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, number 4 is uh, his need for for her for his wife to continue to invest in herself. And really what I mean by that is that oftentimes when we get married and we start having children, and this can be true both ways, but I do think it's true. Women feel, I think, a pressure sometime to uh, invest themselves fully in the kids, fully in their job, whatever it is, and they don't spend the time on themselves and invest in themselves. Mm-hmm. It is good for our wives to invest in themselves and to care about things that they cared about before they had all the pressures well, of this, life. This, this is internal and external. Yeah, right. You they know? need time. A, re- a husband needs his wife to have that time to invest in herself spiritually, mm-hmm. to invest in that, but also physically as well. Mm-hmm. And that she she needs to take that time to really invest in herself inwardly and outwardly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. Uh, the last thing here is his why his need for a life companion. You know, one of the things that men really enjoy is they they want someone to share their life with. They want somebody to explore and take on life with. And so I think it's important that that you know it's not just I've seen so many couples and they 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 live lives almost separately. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that doesn't mean you know obviously you're going to have interests that your spouse may not have, and and vice versa. She may go out with the girls, and you may go out with the guys, and that's fine. But if you never spend time together, if you don't, if you never, if you don't see yourself as companions, something's got to change because that will negatively impact your intimacy. Right. If the only time you ever meet is 
in the bedroom, right. that's a problem. Yeah, that's a real problem. And let, let me listen. This is this may be one of the hardest points I have to talk to because uh, if you look at a, your wife as a life companion, uh, that is so true. And but as hard as me and Paula, as we were married, we always knew that we had to invest in our kids, but we needed to keep investing in ourselves. But I'll be honest with you, the empty nest is a still a challenge for us because I Paula is my life companion, and I believe she wants me to be her life companion. But as hard as we try to stay connected, it is still hard at times to readjust into this next season of life. And you've got to really make the effort mm. to keep going and continue in partnership. And it's got to go beyond partnering to raise children mm-hmm. or partnering to get them out of college. Mm-hmm. It's got to be to partner in life and to find those ongoing common interests and really continue to invest in one another. It's super important to do yeah. that. All these things that we've listed, the, the five things for a, a wife and the five things for a man, they play into intimacy. You can't have true intimacy. Like we said, intimacy is beyond just the physical act of sex. If you want to have an enjoyment in intimacy, if you want it to grow and become better as you age, then you have to invest in these things, you know? Yeah, it's just it's just a non-negotiable. You so, just got to do it. So here's the best sex advice that I can give. It's to communicate about it. There are so many couples that just don't even talk about this. You know, you need to share with words how you feel, share even your past, share your desire, share your dreams. But I just feel like couples don't communicate as about this like they should. And there's various reasons for that. But yeah, there's so many reasons. I mean, a lot of it can be our backgrounds, Mm -hmm. uh, our experiences in sexuality uh, before we were married, uh, the influences that have been on us. Uh, if someone has been really influenced by pornography and the other person had no influence of pornography, I promise you when they get together, there are going to have to be some conversations about how do we approach sexuality and our needs and what honors God and what doesn't honor God. Mm -hmm. So you've got to talk about all of these things and to um, make sure you get on the same page about this very important. Some people might've been brought up in a home that is thought where sex was thought of as dirty, even, even in marriage, sex was thought of as dirty or any sort of sexual contact out of side of pro of the means to procreate is, is bad. And we've already said that that's not how God designed it, but we, you know, this can be very tough to talk about, but I tell you, if you will mind the depths of these conversations, with your spouse, you can really get to a level of intimacy that most people just don't get to because they don't talk about these things. Right. They don't. And, and also this, that whole other idea of uh, why can sex be a tough subject to talk about sometimes is because of maybe past history that mm. you've had in sexuality. Yeah. And I, I really encourage people, especially Christians, if they have found themselves in situations or in, in in sexual situations that didn't honor God, in sexual sin, that they make sure that they make that right with God, get in right relationship. But when you come into a relationship, I think you've got to have honesty about mm-hmm. your appropriate honesty. I'm not talking about you have to just you know, inappropriately share about it, but there doesn't need to be surprises down the road of people or uh, things that could harm uh, the marriage later. I think you got to be really transparent up front, talk about it, get on the same page about it, so you can go forward together 
in the bonds of a relationship that honors God. Mm -hmm. So that's something really to consider. That's good. Well, as we draw to a close here on this episode, you know, intimacy is very important. It must be protected. I, I This verse in Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You know, this, this right here lays the groundwork for a Christian marriage. It should be held in honor. There is a specialness. There is a there is a goodness to marriage, and we should honor it. We should work to make it all that God desires it to be, something that will bring glory and honor. And if you if you know someone, you look at somebody's life who has a Christian marriage, who tries to live these principles out. They're not perfect, but they try to live these principles out. They bring glory to God. They're a testament to God's faithfulness. Right. Yeah, and we need to see it for that. And and even as hard as it is in our culture, that does not give us an excuse to ever violate our marital vows. Right. We got to remember that and we got to make it our aim to live in such a way that we're giving glory to God through our relationships. And like you just said, we won't do it perfectly. There's no one that'll be perfect in it. But our highest aim and goal should be to keep our vows and to be faithful to the one that God's given us. And we need to remember, as it says here in Hebrews 13, chapter, verses 4 and 5, it says, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Mm. So <clears throat> we need to remember that. It, God takes this seriously, and it matters how we live. And it's matter, it matters the sexual choices that we make mm-hmm. in our lives before a holy God. So to, just to wrap this up, what should people do if their intimacy is not where it needs to be in their marriage? What's the first step? Well, the first step is to is to admit it and to and to take action to correct it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes a couple can come together and be honest and really look at it themselves, work through things and get back on the same page. But to be quite honest with you, there are times when it's been so dysfunctional for so long, it's really hard to fight back. There's resentment and bitterness and all these things built up. There's so much built up that there is oftentimes you need someone who can help you walk through uh, the situations uh, to be there, to be that third party of the of a neutral kind mm-hmm. that is just simply going to use God's words and the principles of God's word to help you get back to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that you know what that's called? That's called counsel biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. It's called discipleship. It's called investing in your marriage and oftentimes that's seen as taboo or something that we just can't do and that is just wrong because you, oftentimes if you don't change things up and you just keep doing what you're doing you're you're going to get the same results that's right well i've seen i've seen couple I, i've seen couples we do biblical counseling we have biblical counselors i've also seen where a couple just says hey to an older more mature couple that is living these godly principles that's say right. will you come alongside us right. and the husband's discipling the young the, the young man and the wife is discipling the young lady and they meet together and they just help them walk kind of down that that road to get where they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be. It can be exactly that, where you find other brothers and sisters in Christ, that other maybe older couple that's been down the road, that's been through some hard knocks and hard situations, that are willing to invest in you uh, for the good of your marriage and for God's glory. And that can happen. But we've just got to be open to that. If we're honest about that's where we're at. Yeah, that's really good. Well, again, if you need help, if you're in the Evansville area, please contact us. Our email address is in the show notes. Email us. Let us know that we would love nothing more than to sit down and talk and share the biblical truth of what it means to follow Jesus and live these principles out in your marriage. 
So, yep. Thanks for, uh, thanks for today, Brian. Uh, right. I've enjoyed it. And I okay. hope that if we just help one person that listens, it'll be all worth it. And I hope we can help many more than that. We're continuing our series. We'll see you next week for the next episode. Goodbye. See, see you, you next time.